0: Now you talk about terror. Welcome to another podcast from the Chris Hedges Report. What about for me? I'm Chris Hedges, and you can find more of my work at chrishedges.substack.com. All my day. There are some 84 million forcibly displaced people in the world, more than at any time since World War II. They are fleeing a combination of war, civil unrest, religious conflict, poverty, persecution, persecution local violence, and the climate crisis. As conditions worsen, authoritarian governments are on the rise that denounce immigrants and refugees as contaminants and impose draconian policies to turn them back, including at sea, where whole boats of refugees are drowned. Pope Francis calls the Mediterranean the largest cemetery in Europe. The persecution and abuse of refugees is becoming policy, including in Europe, Australia, and the United States. It does not matter that the U.S. bears a direct responsibility for the more than 37 million people who have fled the wars in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan since 2001, not to mention the U.S.-backed wars in Central America. The U.S. proxy war in Ukraine has only exacerbated the crisis. The EU is providing money to Greece and Turkey to detain and prevent refugees from seeking asylum in other European countries. The EU is also testing sound cannons to blast at asylum seekers, trying to cross into Greece from Turkey. The coast guards of Greece and the EU push refugees, including children, back out into sea, causing many to drown. Greece, which imprisons seven out of ten asylum seekers, denies new arrivals, including Afghans, the right to request asylum unless these arrivals are Ukrainians. The increased hostility to refugees in the United States, Great Britain, Italy, Belarus, Poland, Croatia, Greece, Spain, and Hungary are the building blocks of a new and heartless world order, one where the wealthy industrialized nations of the earth wall off the destitute to suffer and die. Joining me to discuss the crisis is Helen Benedict, who with Iyad El Wadonan wrote Map of Hope and Sorrow, Stories of Refugees in Greece. So you open the book, the preface you write, uh, Iyad, about your own experiences, and which is an experience that mirrored in many of the people you've gone to interview in the book. But perhaps you can just explain how you ended up in Turkey and your uh, flight or, or uh, your entry into Greece, and just just lay out what happened. It's a, of course you lose family members, and uh, but just tell us briefly uh, that trajectory. First of all, thank you for having us, and I would like to
1: start with the first reason that made me escape my country. No one wants to leave his homeland. No one wants to leave any of his memory, his friends. But I would say that when you have no life and when you are afraid for your life and the one you love, you will try so hard to protect them and protect yourself. So the first reason to leave was the war and was that the conditions of life that you cannot handle even though i just want to make sure that for few years we tried to move from an area to another from city to a city in syria just like to find peace but in the end you cannot so we had to have a decision and to leave so we left to turkey also it is not a an easy journey because like when you live from, for example, the area controlled by the government to the area controlled by the position, it is not something easy. You have to pay a lot of money and there is a big chance that you will be cut. You will be present and maybe you will lose your life. A lot of people and I know, they
0: have lost their life. Iyad, can, I, can I just stop you there? Because I want to go back to Syria because there's a lot of pressure, which you felt within your own family, to join one or side or the other in the conflict.
1: So I would say that the, a lot of people, they try so hard to keep studying, but for like small reason, you have to be in one side, either with the government or with the position. So it is not easy. For example, for me and for a lot of people, they don't want to be part of this because we are just killing ourselves. My uncle, my cousin, my friend, because it is civil war. This is the thing. So I don't want to be in any side. So it is a real pressure and stressful for us the situation there, I have lost many friends. I have lost also two cousins and many others. So I think the easy way is, was for me to leave, but at the same time, it is not easy, emotional, because you are forced to leave your country, to leave everything behind you. And even though you are like thinking whether you are going to make it or not, because I crossed the border alone from Syria to Turkey. And the only thought was in my head whether I'm going to receive the bullet or not. Because a lot of Syrian who tried to escape, they have been killed in at the border. So we left from uh, Syria. We stayed in Turkey for a year and the health. The situation was really
0: hard there. Well, you, you say you live. You say we live like animals. This is talking about yes, Turkey. Yes, I would say like just saying
1: that the life is hard there is not enough because sometimes okay, the life is hard everywhere. But what do you mean by hard? I would say when you just work all the day from seven to twelve sometimes till midnight, okay, and for just almost no money, no paid. If uh, you cut your finger at the work, there is no security. There is no health insurance. Because in this case, you lost your job and you lost your finger and no one will care about this. So you just like animal. You work, you eat, you drink, and that's it. I lived there for a year and a
0: half and I only went to a cafe one time. You worked uh, repairing trucks, you worked in a shoe factory, but you write, employers would often refuse to pay our wages, and if we asked for them, we were fired, we were insulted by the people, the police and the army. They said, you are traitors, you fled from your country, and come here to hide like women behind us.
1: Yes, we hear this a lot of times, but like, even I tried to explain many times. I tried to explain and explain, but... In the end, you will say, okay, if no one is hearing me, why to say anything? Just keep silent. Like, they think that we are there to just steal their jobs. And this is not the truth. Like, we had lives in Syria. We had, like, future there. But the war forced us to leave our country and to find a safe place to live in. Uh, The treatment was really bad. I'm not going to say that all of them, No, I cannot generalize this because a lot of people also, they are good. In any place in this earth, you will find the good people and bad people. Yeah, I remember when I was working in a shoe factory, I just less than $1. But for me, it makes something. It provides me with something. I told him just, I have 10 Turkish lira, and he kicked me from the vehicle.
0: Let's talk about Greece. So, you pay a smuggler $500, that's a ton of money, uh, yes. for passage to Greece on a rubber boat. Uh, you're paying, uh, you think you're getting on a boat with no more than 33 passengers for a crossing uh, that's no longer in an hour. That doesn't turn out to be the case. Talk about that passage of out of uh, Turkish. Off the Turkish coast towards Greece. As I said in the book, like the smuggler will make the sea honey
1: for you. Like you will just go there with a few, with like maximum 30 people on the boat and you will just spend less than one hour. Okay. Just, and when you get inside the vehicle, the bus, it is a mini bus. Okay. You find yourself surrounded by 45. In my boat, there was 67 people. If my memory did. 67 people, including old people, young children, women, pregnant, like everything. You will see the screaming, like a lot of people, they start vomiting. It was not easy. And one of the scene and the memories of the boat still... When we saw, like the Frontex boat, we start carrying our children, holding them up high to sky, because we heard a lot of stories that if you don't have children in the boat, they will
0: send you back, and this is how it's going now. You you land you land you land uh, you land in Greece. I'm I'm just going to have you just f- fill that part in. And, uh, within the book, you describe the conditions. Uh, but just talk about what happens after you land in Greece. It was, I just want to tell something. Like,
1: I remember the moment when I get on the Frontex boat, when we saw like the beautiful yellow buildings of Samos. It was really beautiful. So when we landed at the port, they brought us, they put us all together, there are 67 people, they hold us like a piece of paper, and they wrote numbers on our hands. So after that, they brought like uh, small, many passes, and took us to the camp, like just seeing the entrance of the camp, covered by the garbage, and the fins, um, seeing the people, looking, uh, lying in a long line, waiting for like their food, shouting. The police all around the place. It was like a shock for me. And after that, they put us like in an area where I would say an animal cannot live there or stay because there is no clean toilets. Even there is no water at that time. So, it was disaster.
0: It was disaster. So, Helen, uh, in the book, you talk about the change in attitude, especially after 2015, towards refugees coming into Europe. Can you talk about that process and, and where we've... Uh, and I didn't know until I read the book, there was such an aggressive effort by the EU to uh, essentially trap people in Greece, or push them back
2: yes, so um we often see these these initial waves of sympathy uh when refugees are first fleeing a war um, and um even though the the war started in Syria in twenty eleven the the biggest um, rush out was in twenty uh fifteen and at first there was some sympathy and there were even on the islands, the, you know, a lot of people were being welcoming, <clears throat> making sandwiches, opening their home. Not everybody, but a lot of people. Um, and then in 2016, the EU made this deal with Turkey called the EU Turkey deal. They put, they fed three billion uh, euros into Greece and Turkey to basically make sure that all the procedures that uh, any refugee would have to go through, any asylum seeker would have to go through, would be slowed down, slowed down, slowed down. And these temporary camps that were supposed to just be processing centers uh suddenly became like holding pens, and people got stuck there for year after year after year with no schooling, one doctor for the entire camp, um, and the horrible sanitary conditions and filth and overcrowding that had describes. Um, and then the islanders, as more people came, uh, the islanders began to get more and more fed up with it and more and more distressed, even though I might say they also making money off it. Um, and this was fed by the new government that came into Greece in 2019, which was overtly a right-wing, anti-immigrant, anti-refugee government using that platform of so many authoritarian governments are using today. Um and began to sort of feed all these lies to the people of Greece that these are not real refugees fleeing for their lives. These are economic migrants coming to try and make money off us and take our jobs. And so this, of course, works, especially with the help of social media to, you know, foster more and more and more antagonism. And that's what I saw each time I went back. I I would talk to Greeks and I would talk to the people living in the camp, and they were having more and more, you know, hostile encounters with locals and with the, especially with the local police, who were who became very brutal.
0: So, yeah, one of the themes in the book is this: all those people who prey on the vulnerable for profit, not just the smugglers, uh, but everywhere uh, because you're defenseless, because you have no legal rights, uh, even though you're poor. Um, th- that you are just fleeced at every turn. Can you talk about all the ways that these refugees are preyed upon, uh, o- often through scams even? Yes. I would say, like, for example, let's start when I was in Samos.
1: A lot of uh, asylum seekers has been rejected. So they try their best to find smugglers to get them out of the island of Samos to the mainland either with uh by like the smuggler will make a deal with truck driver or just to put them in the back of truck and like there is a dangers on this the other thing also let's say that you are not asylum seeker anymore you have be recognized as a refugee but here you are going through a nightmare of the long procedures. For example, I have been waiting when I was there for my just ID card for like six months. So when you just want to leave this country because you say like, I want to study and here I cannot. So I'm thinking to go to another country just to follow my dream. Yeah, sometimes if I don't have airplane attacking me, That doesn't mean I am live because life has many, more than just being safe and having food on table. So you are trying to get your documents as fast as you can. So you will just go to a lawyer asking him and he will take advantage. A lot of people, they paid a lot of money. One of them, me, and there is a lady also who is in the book. I guess a lot of people, they will hear and know more about this through reading, uh, through the book. I would say like everyone will take advantage because they know that you want to leave as soon as you can. So the police,
0: the lawyers, I'm not saying all of them,
1: but I would say a lot
0: of them. Helen, I want to talk about women. Um, Rape is, of course, uh, unfortunately uh, common among uh, women and girls who uh, flee. And then I wondered if you can also, watch I didn't know until I read the book, but once you're granted asylum, oftentimes you're bereft of any financial support. Uh, But can you begin with, with the situation for girls and women?
2: Yes um well in the camps for example they are vastly outnumbered it's about uh, um 5 to 1 men to women um and it's especially dangerous of course for women who've come alone or for young unaccompanied minors girls um because they're seen as prey by everybody the smugglers they come across during the journey and once they get there so it's not just the smugglers it's also global police, soldiers, anybody with power, um, and sometimes also the men in the camp. Um, so an awful lot of women actually arrive in Greece having already endured terrible assaults and violence through the wars at home. So they're already traumatized, and then they get there, and there's no special place to live, That there's no protected housing. There are, as I said, one doctor, one psychiatrist, one psychologist, there's nobody to help except for a handful of very tiny NGOs. So a lot of women have no help. And then if they're targeted again and they're repeatedly um, assaulted or raped, they might be targeted by a particular man who just knows that the woman has no protection. Um, it can just go on. This nightmare goes on and on with, with no recourse. Um, and it's a, it's a very distressing story. Really, if it weren't for the NGOs, there'd be no help at all.
0: Although I wanted, it's in the book, there's all this effort to remove the NGOs. So there's a, a lot and of Most NGOs. of
2: them have been. Yeah. Yes, the Greek government. So two of the things that the Greek government, the neo-democratia, the new democracy government did, was one is once you get refugee status, you get kicked off of every kind of help that, the, that you're entitled to. So in a way, it's, it's the, it's the opposite of being protected. Your money is taken away. Subsidized housing is taken away. You're often, you're evicted. You're not allowed free medical care anymore, let alone any kind of care for sexual assault and rape and war trauma. Um, and, and the other thing is that most of the NGOs were closed down and taken away the very places that were the only ones that were, were offering any kind of help.
1: And sometimes I would say it is the only place where you can get away from the camp.
0: So, Iyad, I want to ask you about trauma. Uh, you, in the book, you write about uh, a man named Hassan um, and his twin brother, Hussein, is killed. He uh, he says he was my twin, my brother, part of me. I sat alone in my room with the blinds down and the curtains lowered, the lights off. I wanted to stay away from everybody. The summer humidity filled the ceiling, the walls, the floor, until the smell of mold was everywhere. On most days, I stayed awake until dawn and only ate one meal, always the same: milk mixed with olive oil and salt, a piece of bread, a cup of tea. After several months of this, I was having health problems. So you 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 carry, I mean, mo- probably most of these refugees carry tremendous. Trauma, and I wondered if you could address the effects of that trauma and what it does to you. A lot of time, when I was like in the camp, as
1: I have written, like the only thing you can do is I was saying that lighting a cigarette after a cigarette and going back to your memories to the people who was living with you, to your memories with them, and the only thing. Sometimes listening to music as well take you back to the the time when you were together. But one day, you just have a picture of them where there is a bullet, for example, in their neck. Like one friend, his name Muhammad, he was sitting with us many times, playing cards together. And one day, we just woke up hearing... The story that he is dead. And just saw a picture of him. The last picture of him was his neck was open because of a bullet. So I don't think that war can give you anything.
0: And and there's very little uh, opportunity for any kind of treatment for this trauma. Is there? I don't...
1: Personally, I would say that I think this will be permanent, this feeling. Like something has been changed. For example, today I am safe. I am in a place where there is everything, like a nice country and the people are really nice. But still, because of what happened, because of what I have experienced, I would say that there is something has been changed inside me. And worries, I guess. Yeah. I would say being afraid of tomorrow. You will stay afraid of tomorrow. And being a refugee is this hard topic.
2: I would add that the people I talk to sleep is very hard. Uh Getting to sleep, staying asleep, when your defenses are down, all the memories and the images haunt you and haunt you, never feeling safe, no matter where you are, never knowing what you whether you'll have a future and what it will be. I mean I think one of the hardest things that happens when you have to flee your country is that um all control over your life is taken away um you're, you're shipped around by the authorities like a packet of socks. Um, you, you don't get to choose where to go or which camp you're going to be sent to or whether you're going to be kicked out on the street or not. Um, the, the only place I've heard of that's really managed to help people is, is MSF, Médecins Sans Frontières, New Doctors Without Borders, where if for those who are lucky enough to get access to it, they, but, um, it's yes it, it lasts a long time and it erodes people in all kinds of of both obvious and subtle ways
0: i want to begin with you helen but i want to address racism because the influx of refugees has fed this white nationalist movement in the united states and europe uh but can you deal with that issue of race and and then uh yeah i'll have you also speak to that
2: yes sure um Two of the people in, in the book are African, one from Nigeria and one from Cameroon. Um, and, uh, there's plenty of racism against the Arabs, um, in Greece. I've seen it with my own eyes, but it's even more extreme with Africans. Um, and, uh, you can see it. I mean, I walked around with, with Evans, who's one of the people in the book, just trying to help him open a, a bank account um we were kicked out of one bank they said come back in 3 months i said but don't you want his money just to see what they would say uh, whoever heard of a you know, bank for turning someone away like that um we were kicked out of phone shops he was trying to get a battery for his phone and then they'd let white people in it was very very overt there were certain restaurants you just didn't go to and cafes you didn't go to because the people were so hostile it became known um and and then landlords uh, won't rent to refugees often and a lot of that is is racism some of it, is, a lot of it is also islamophobia in the case of uh, two Africans in the book they're both Christian but um I interviewed others who were Muslim and but what mattered most to people was that they were black. So it's very extreme and, of course, it's being used, as you said, Chris, everywhere um, to drum up uh, xenophobia and hatred and suspicion. And this myth that that refugees are dangerous, whereas all the statistics show that they actually commit less crimes than civilians do in any given country.
0: Yeah. Can you speak about that, the, the racism and Islamophobia? Like
1: uh, a story has happened with me when I was uh, working uh, with an organization called Solidarity Now. Uh, so I was living in a far area from the camp. So I tried to move close to the camp. Anyway, I asked some of my colleagues to find a house for me. And there was like many houses. And every time, They know that this man or this woman who wants to rent this place is Syrian or is refugee. They will say, no, we just want to rent this place for someone European. If not a Greek, then someone from Europe. This happened with me. Um, I would say like I have seen and heard a lot of stories about racism. But I'm not going to say that all of the people there are racism. No. Like uh, as I mentioned in the book like you will find good people like an old lady who treat uh, us with the smile. Sometimes smile is more than enough. So I would say yes, I have seen a lot of racism but at the same time, I have seen some kindness from normal people. Like, if we want to talk about uh, police, I would say no. None of them I have, like, a nice experience with. Some of them on the beach, they will, like, uh, try to just kick us. I remember my brother has been taken from the beach with other like with a large group of refugees, and what is their crime that they were walking next to the harbor front of everyone as cows
2: yeah, one thing I saw uh, one of the times I was going there to Greece was right in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement here, and we were talking a lot about racial profiling in the u s And I saw the police stop refugees randomly all the time and search their, make them take off their backpacks and search and pat them down. They're just walking along, minding their own business. So it was, it was very raw. But but I but I of course, Iad's right in reminding us to say that we can't overgeneralize about our country of people. There are plenty of, of very kind and generous uh, Greeks who really care about this situation, as there are people like that everywhere. Thank goodness.
0: Great. Uh, I want to thank the Real News Network and its production team, Cameron Granadino, Adam Coley, Dwayne Gladden, and Kayla Rivera. You can find me at chrisedges.substack.com.